You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Have a seat. Well, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus, and it's good to be back uh, this week. Thanks for Fredo for preaching last week. If you haven't heard that, go and uh, check that out online and listen to that. He did a great job. And so what we're doing, we're going to kind of hit the pause button on our John series. We'll pick that back up in January. Uh, but for the next four weeks, we've got kind of a special kind of Advent focus that we're calling the gift. And we're going to look at several people that we read about through the stories of Matthew and Luke. Uh, we'll look at the wise men. We're going to look at the shepherds. We'll look at Mary and then ultimately us about how is Christ a gift to them. And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks. And so we are at this time of Christmas and it really should be the happiest time of year, the most joy-filled time of the year. I mean, there's parades. Uh, if you like torture, there are endless Hallmark movies uh, for you to watch. Uh, decorations get put up. Uh, there's music everywhere you go. In fact, for, for Christians, as for believers, this really should be a very joyful time of year. In fact, it should probably be the happiest time. Think about the songs that we kind of pull out that we sing this time of year, like while shepherds watch their flocks. It talks about glad tidings of great joy I bring. In fact, I googled a lot of these songs. It's hard to find a song about Christmas that doesn't mention the word joy. Hark the herald angels sing. Talks about um, joyful all the nations rise. O come all ye faithful. Talks about joyful and triumphant. God rest ye merry gentlemen of tidings of great joy, comfort and joy they bring. Or what about the classic joy to the world that you're to repeat the sounding joy? So then why is it that Christmas always comes and there often seems to be a lack of joy? In fact, the National Institute of Health said that Christmas... It's the time of year that people experience a higher degree of depression than any other time of the year. In fact, another study, a survey of North Americans said that 50% of those people responded, and this was their word, dreaded the festive season. So why is there, it seems like, this, this lack of joy? When For Christians, for believers, it should be a time of great joy, but oftentimes what we find is Dread and anxiety, fear, depression, and overwhelming fatigue. I think we become our own worst enemies. And when we think about the things that we add to Christmas and all of the things that, the stress that we add to this, I mean, a lot of these are a good thing. You know, you may want to, hey, I'm going to host a Christmas party. You know, I guarantee you're probably getting a fight with your spouse 10 minutes before. Your septic system might back up. True story. Or, you know, you, you get into this thing. I remember Marla and I dating. was very new into our relationship. And you got to buy a present. And then you, you know, it should be a joyful thing. 
But then you start playing those games in your head. Well, how much are they going to spend? How much do I need to spend? Are they going to like this gift as much as I like mine? Am I going to show the right expression about when I open this thing? Well, I'll share one about with me is that you may not know this about me. I love wrapping presents. I hate shopping with everything about me. I love to wrap presents. Man, I like to get the edges just right, the right corners. I mean, I love to wrap presents. So we had some gifts, and the other night I didn't have anything that night. I was at home, and uh, so excited. Ophie even said, can I help? I said, no, you can hand me some tape. This is my thing. I love to wrap presents. So the expectation, joyful night. Well, I get about three presents in, and I get to think about all the money we've spent. Then I run out of boxes. Telling Marla who it's for, and then she forgets, or I didn't tell her the right name. Then I got to unwrap it to find out who it is. And all of a sudden, all the joy was gone. Or what about balancing family time and schedules? Who's going to come here? Where we're going to go there? I remember even adding up the hours. Okay, we were your parents this many hours, so we got to, you know, we have to balance the schedules, and everybody has the cousin Eddie. You know, you're just wondering, are they going to kind of show up this year? And then it's the financial burden that we put on ourselves. So then we make a Christmas resolution. I think we say, okay, this year it's going to be different. I'm not going to stress. It's going to be a lot of joy. Christ will be the reason for the season. And then we fall right back into the kind of the same things that rob us of joy. Here's the truth. It's not anything new. I was reading this week a guy named A.W. Tozer thinking about Christmas. I think this guy really despise the uh, Christmas as we kind of know it. He said this, Christ came to bring peace, and we celebrate His coming by making peace impossible for four or five weeks of the year. Not peace, but tension, fatigue, and irritation rule the Christmas season. So Christmas should be this very joyful and and uh, hopeful and, and happy time of the year, but in reality, I think it's often the opposite. But does it have to be that way? I mean, is there anything that we can do to kind of recapture and to find that joy that we know that we should experience this time of year? And I think there is. In fact, we're going to see it today through those wise men that came from the east that journeyed from to Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And so that's what we're going to see. We're going to look at these wise men and they're going to present some lavish gifts on this young child. But they end up opening a gift better than anything they could imagine. And it's the gift of joy. And so here's how I outlined this passage today for us today. is first thing we're going to see is the star of the king. And we're going to talk about all that encompass that. We'll look at the prophecy of the king and watching God fulfill his promises. And then we're going to see this incredible scene of worship of this king. So let's begin with the star of the king in your Bibles or on your devices. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. One of those passages that we often focus and read this time of year. Matthew and Luke, the account of Jesus' birth. And this is how Matthew records it, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... Behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. And so they hear about Bethlehem, that this place has been, or they, that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The question is always, well, how old is he? And 
We don't really know. He could be anywhere from around a month old to up to less than two years. So he's somewhere in that window. But the first guy that we read about is Herod. Now, this is a strange cat here is that you've got Herod. He reigned from about 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. He's this guy. He's a half Arabian and half Edomite, and he rules with an iron fist over Jerusalem. Rome appoints him to this position, and he becomes kind of this builder of great things. He rebuilds the temple. Uh, he rebuilds Samaria. He uh, built, I showed you maybe a month or so ago, this incredible port and palace, uh, Caesarea Martima. The world never seen anything like that. He built a freshwater pool inside the ocean. He even built this incredible city called Masada. This walled city up on top of this uh, huge uh, mound there in Israel. But he was someone that you did not dare cross. Anyone that he saw as a threat to his power, he would eliminate. In fact, it tells us that he had some of his wives and even some of his own sons murdered because he was so paranoid about them overthrowing him. Caesar Augustus once wrote about Herod. He said, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son because of how he treated his family. I mean, this guy was vindictive. He was ruthless. He was controlling. He was paranoid. And he was murderous. And he's one of the first guys that you see. But then you see these wise men. And so who are these people? So these guys are presented a lot of different ways. Your Bible might say magi. Uh, it'll talk about them wise men. Some will even say they were magicians or even kings. A lot of times in the scriptures, you see this Daniel, when he would interpret dreams, it talks about him being a wise man, or Joseph in Pharaoh's court, where they would interpret the signs and their dreams for people. Well, these guys were students of the stars. You might call them astrologers. But they're coming from the east, probably from Babylon or even Persia. And they go to Jerusalem. So why Jerusalem? Well, it tells us in verse 2. So they went to Herod and went saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so here's what happened. A star appears. And for years they would watch the stars, and they had them tracked, they had them written down, they named them. But all of a sudden, a new star is appearing. They begin to wonder what this star is about. And notice how they refer to it. They give it an identity. They say, we've come to see who's been born the king of the Jews. We saw his star. So they believe this star is pointing to someone, and they name him King of the Jews. But here's the thing. We don't know how in the world they came about by that knowledge. What was it that revealed this new star that it was pointing to the new king of Israel? But somehow, some way, this knowledge is given to them. And when they come, notice they refer to him, his star, the king of the Jews, and this is important, who has been born. Meaning they know he is here. And he's not someone that is one day going to rise up in power, like saying, you know, the president is among us somehow. Meaning, no, they say that he is king now. He holds the position from birth. And they've come 
to worship. I mean, you think about these guys. They leave the comfort of their own home. They leave everything that they're familiar in their culture, and they come to a distant land. So many uncertainty. They're following this star. They're not even sure for sure where it will lead them, but they go to Jerusalem because that would have been the capital. And they leave all of that behind, and they follow in hopes that they would come before the rightful king, and it says to worship, or it means to pay homage. Now, there's some fascinating things, though, about this star and even these visitors. And there's a lot of discussion about this star. I mean, there's a lot of theories that try to explain what this really was. People will say it was an aligning of the planets, including Jupiter, and they made this kind of super uh, star in the sky. Some say it was an angel. Some have even said it was the Shekinah glory, that the glory that God used to lead the children of Israel through the desert, the time of wandering in the wilderness. But I think sometimes it's one of those things where we can miss the forest for the trees. I think this is something in Scripture. It's a mystery that we're not meant to solve. And you can go and speculate, and there's even movies out about it. But there are so many things in Scripture that are not mysteries that we're to set out to solve. They're simply miracles that we are to believe. You take Jesus walking on water. There's all kinds of theories out there. How in the world could a man survive in the belly of a fish for all those days? Or the parting of the Red Sea, and there's all these theories about how this happened. But so many times, they're not mysteries that we're to try to solve. They're simply miracles to believe. But Matthew does something very fascinating. Matthew doesn't even go to give us to talk about the shepherd. His very first recorded visitors to this child, they're not even Jews. They are foreigners, Gentiles, from a distant land in the east. And I think Matthew is doing something very specific here. That Matthew records the very first visitors to the child are Gentiles. And you remember how Matthew ends his gospel? He ends it with the Great Commission. that says we're to take the gospel to all the nations of every tongue and every tribe. And I think Matthew is setting up these magi, these wise men, to be the foreshadowing for why he's writing this gospel. We're not even for sure how these men get their knowledge. Somehow, some way, they receive this, but God reveals the truth to them and they abandon everything to follow the star. Do you see this beautiful star in the sky that is leading these magi to a very particular place? But they pause in Jerusalem and something's about to happen. We're going to see the prophecy. Of this king in verse verse 3. It says when Herod the king. He heard this. He heard about this star. He heard about these men coming. Notice his response. He was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. So notice these different responses. First of all you have Herod. And he is troubled by this news. Why is that? It's because everything about this king. Is a threat to what he loves. And what he stands for. But it also says all of Jerusalem. I think he's referring to the religious leaders. Why would they be troubled? I mean, their king has now been born. 
I think it's because they've gotten very comfortable with where they are and the lifestyles that they have. They've adapted into the culture and they have to be thinking, what is Rome going to do if they hear us following a different king? But the third response is these strangers from the east. They're filled with intrigue and they set out on this journey to know more. So Herod hears this, but he doesn't quite understand it. So what does he do? He sets out and he asks for the expert. and He's going to bring the chief priests, the, the political leaders of the time. He's going to bring in the men, the scribes. These are the students, the, the experts of the law. Notice what it tells us in verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired to them, and notice what he wants to know. He doesn't want to know who he is. He wants to know where. Where the Christ was to be born. So he knows exactly what is going on. He wants to know the details about this new king. He wants to know where he can find him. Because anytime there's a threat to what we love and what we stand for, we will do everything we can to eliminate that threat. And that's exactly what Herod does. So look at the prophecy in verse 5 and 6. So they come to him, not any hesitation, and they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people. And that just rolls off their tongue. In fact, if you've got some cross-references that your Bible shows, it'll say Micah 5.2. It's, it's really the Christ prophecy of all prophecies about him from the Old Testament. Notice how he quoted that and notice how close they are to exactly what it says. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is to come forth from the old, from ancient days. So the scribes and the priests, they had learned and they knew their scriptures. They knew the prophecy. They didn't even have to think about it. They knew exactly what knowledge to draw upon. They knew where the king would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem, the city of Jesse, the city of David. The king was always going to come from there. So Herod gives an order. He wants to see uh, them. He's going to send them out. But I want us to see something very odd and strange. In verses 7 and 8. When Herod summons the wise men, he brought them in and he asked them, he ascertained for them, what time the star had appeared. Notice the details he wants to know. He's calculating this. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may come to and worship him. So he sends them to Bethlehem. And it's important to know some geography here. And that Bethlehem only sits a, a short little walk. It, it's a suburb of Jerusalem. It's only about five miles due south of Jerusalem. But he lies to them and he says he wants to go worship too. But you read later on in verse 16 where Herod goes and he has every child under the age of two murdered there. But here's what's strange. If you're a priest, if you're a scribe, for your entire life is about following the Jewish law. 
It's about studying the scriptures. It's about knowing God's word. Being able to cite huge passages of scripture. You've read and you've known these prophecies your entire life. And one has come true. The ruler of the king of Israel is born and you know it's in Bethlehem. In fact, they would have even have drawn upon the knowledge of Numbers 24 where Balaam says that a star will guide. But these magi come from the east and they see this star and it leads them to Jerusalem. And you know what you do? You share the prophecy with them. But for some reason you won't go five miles and they stay put. I mean, doesn't that... Seems strange that these men that were students of the law that had spent their whole lives following this, and you quote the prophecy, it's five miles away, and you stay home. But the wise men, these Gentile foreigners, they are going and they are willing to follow. But notice what they do. You'll see the worship of the king. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And So don't miss this. So Jerusalem is five miles due north of Bethlehem. Stars move from an east to west trajectory. So all of a sudden, though, this star starts moving north to south. So think about what God is, is doing here to get Mary and Joseph to, Jeru or to Bethlehem and then the wise men. They're up in Nazareth. They're this couple, this engaged couple. And I think the first thing we need to remember is that God is wielding the lives of people for His purposes. So what does God do? He could have told them, hey, I need you to go to Bethlehem. But He uses... A, a Roman ruler to call for a census to get them there. So the prophecy is that this rightful leader of Israel, this shepherding king, will be born in Bethlehem, and he uses a Roman leader to make it happen. But then God is doing something else. Not only does he wield the lives of people to bring about his purposes, he is wielding the entire universe. A star shows up that isn't usually there. The wise men follow it and it leads them west. When the star reappears, the star starts moving from north to south. The star is doing something it cannot do on its own. And God is using it. He is guiding that star to bring the magi to the Son of God. And the beauty of that is there is only one person that has that power. That God is wielding lives of people and even the universe to bring about His promise and to make His Son known to the world. And that is the God who loves you and the God that you trust in. And notice the result when this happens. In verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, words are very important, especially when they're, they're arranged a certain way. Notice that Matthew could have simply said they rejoiced. He could have even said, you know, they rejoiced with joy. He could have even said they rejoiced with a tremendous or a great joy. But he says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's almost 
an uncontrollable, an unimaginable joy that these men have. But what was it about? They were about to meet the Messiah. Notice the results. Notice what their joy turns into. In verse 11, and going into the house, they saw, they laid their eyes upon the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped. They fell down on their faces before the child sitting on his mother's lap, and they worshipped. Their joy, it turned into worship. But there's even more. So then what happens? They bring their eyes up. They begin opening their treasures and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They offered gifts to the king. Their joy turns into worship and their joy is heightened by the giving of gifts. You remember what their expectation was at the beginning? They wanted to come and they wanted to simply pay homage to a king. But when they are in the presence of this baby, it turns into a posture and an attitude that says we are in the presence of God. And God is wielding the lives of his people and even the universe to make this moment happen. And then God graciously warns them, do not return to Herod and they return home. So this morning we see this picture of the star of the king. This faithful prophecy of the king. And then ultimately this beautiful scene of worship. But I want us to see that what Matthew is doing. He's kind of laying three people. Three responses before us. In fact we see these same three responses even today. Over 2,000 years later. The first one is Herod. He is the one that stands opposed to the king. He sees a young, king, a young child, a king, and it is a threat to his way of life. He's opposed because he does not want to do anything that's going to relinquish control to someone else. He's opposed to him because everything he has been building for himself is threatened. And the scripture tells us you cannot serve two masters. But there's another group. The Jewish priests. They knew the scriptures. They even pointed others to the Savior. But they would not go and worship themselves. You see a group ignoring the king. They quoted Matthew 5 too, but they refused to obey it. They were five miles away from the very Son of God, yet they would not go and see him. They chose to ignore the newly born king. But there's another response. It's a group of men that followed even though they did not have all the answers. A group from a foreign land that come to a foreign people and you see the Magi and you see them seeking the king. Think about how many unknowns they must have had. All the uncertainty, but they continued to seek him. They sought after the king when no one else would. And I think we still see these same three attitudes even today. And I think sometimes... We see all three of them, even within our own selves. Sometimes I believe we will seek the king. I hope we do. Other times, I think we stand absolutely opposed to him. Because we want things our way. But there are also times where we ignore the king. 
We see many other things as more important than the king, our schedules or our activities, our gifts. We have all the right knowledge, yet we refuse to go and worship. So the question I leave us with this morning is, how do you want to respond to the king this Christmas season? I, I hope and pray that we would all say we want to seek him. Because remember what the wise men found on their journey? They set out on this journey and they found joy. They received the gift of joy. So I think the truth is the only way to find joy during the season or any other season of life is only by seeking the king. And I think we can do this so many different ways. Clint mentioned one of gathering together around God's word and opening it together and setting our minds on that. Maybe choosing a reading plan that gets us in God's word to guide us through this time. What about taking all of those fears and expectations that we have about this season, about gifts and, and activities and, and family, and acknowledging that, and then laying them at the feet of Jesus? What about praying against materialism and that desire for more and more and defining our identity in those things? I think the best thing we can do to find joy this season is to look at these wise men. You know, Matthew doesn't tell us really much about them. We don't know how they were dressed. We don't know their names. We don't even know how many of them we are. there are. We don't know where they came from, where they were born, where they were buried. He doesn't even tell us much about the star other than it leads them to Christ. Because Matthew is simply telling us they sought the king, and when they found him, they worshipped. So I think when Matthew tells us that these wise men were coming to worship him, He's telling us something extraordinary, not about those men, but about that baby that was placed in a feeding trough, that he was the word made flesh, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is to be worshipped above all, because I think that is the heart of Christmas. And the focus of Christmas is that God is flesh, and he is to be worshipped. And at this time of year, I think it is so easy for us to give our affections and our attention to so many other things. So many other things are looking to be valued and honored and chased after, and they'll never last. But here Matthew is saying there's only one who deserves to be worshipped, and he is greater than anything you can imagine. The Christ child, is he's saying, is not just something or someone to admire or to have these sentiments about. That he is to be worshipped with all that we have and all that we are. And that is the only way you and I will ever find true and lasting joy. It is so easy for us to ignore the king, I think, even at this time of the year. But the wise men, they sought the king and they found a joy that they could not even describe. So do you want that kind of joy this season? And I think Matthew tells us, seek the king. And so this morning, to help us do that, and I'm so glad that as the first Sunday of Advent, we are going to uh, begin this season by taking communion. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. 
Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.